Hands down, my favorite time of year is always the Dallas Conference for my mastermind clients. This is something that's included in their coaching container with me. And not only do I get to squeeze them in person, but they get to meet each other and really foster those amazing relationships, right? Entrepreneurship is challenging and it's lonely and I love creating that environment for them. When they're in this room for three days together, we're really challenging their thought process, bringing in industry leaders and business owners anywhere from seven to eight to even nine figures. And one of my favorite moments is always getting my mentor on stage and not only asking him questions about his scale and wisdom, but also he is asking me some questions and a few of my clients did put him on the spot to ask questions about my sticking points and my growth trajectory. So I'm excited to share this with you. Here's a little glimpse from the Dallas conference. Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHayes, a seven-figure business consultant and strategist for online fitness coaches wanting to build life-changing companies. Real talk, I wasn't an overnight success and that would make for a pretty boring story. I was fired from my TV reporting career of a decade with just $825 to my name. In just two years, I built a seven-figure coaching business. Now I'm sharing my proven strategies with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Welcome to the Taylor Hayes podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So obviously I love chatting with you um, in this setting because I never really get to just, well, I mean, I ask you questions all the time, but <laughs> I blow you up pretty frequently, but not in this setting. And so um, thinking back to, I mean, I, I asked the speakers earlier this, but when we're talking about vision for 2024, I know life has changed for you recently. We'll get into that later, but what would you say your vision is for 2024 specifically with the business? How are things changing yeah. Um, okay, so for us uh, in the AI talk, I talked about uh, emerging markets and some of the things that we're trying to do to make our materials uh, accessible for other places. Um, you know, we have a lot of people on our team that aren't from the United States. And I don't mean that because I hired a million VAs in the Philippines. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, finding people who are incredible talent who need an opportunity. They need a chance. That's it. And if they got that chance, then what could they do with it? What could they do with incredible coaching, with incredible mentorship? Because you guys are entrepreneurs, but not everybody is. And so there's an opportunity for us in 2024 to continue to scour the earth to find the best talent, to build the best team. And for me, it's going from one to many. And so next year is really a prep for me for 2025. So um, oftentimes I do kind of a expand and contract um, you know, mindset for how we build. And next year is really a contraction. It's designed for us to get hyper, hyper focused. So we'll be focused on audience development. Um, we'll be focused on um, you know, messaging. We'll be focused on expansion of markets and focused on building that team. Um, we're focusing on uh, our portfolio instead of the singular entity of lead strategy. We're focused on building uh, more businesses, buying more businesses, um, and expanding our, our global footprint. Excuse me. So, um, so that's kind of what our vision looks like. Um, from, from that perspective and, um, and it just comes back to our core values and like how we think about our decisions every single day. When was the moment that you realized you had something bigger than just a startup? Um, so I would tell you we're still a startup. <laughs> um, but I, I think that I actually had a, it, I, it took me a long time to actually be an entrepreneur again. And I'll, I'll talk about that uh, here in a minute. But um, I, I left entrepreneurship for a while and, and kind of did the corporate thing. 
And it was because of my own insecurity and disbelief of where I was at in my own development. I thought, there's no way I can do this entrepreneur thing, you know? And, and um, I had so much pressure sitting on me, which I'll talk about, I promise. But um, I had so much pressure sitting on me that it felt like if I were to start, no matter what, it would never meet the expectation that was there for me. And so because of that, I just said, well, let me be as successful as I can in corporations. And so I knew that my coming out party to being, um, being an entrepreneur meant that I was going to do it big. I had no other options, right? I had burned the boats, and there was no way to go back. So from day one, I kind of knew that it was going to be bigger than me, but I certainly didn't know how hard it was going to be to actually get to the place where it was bigger than me and I could actually self-perpetuate it with the team. And that was a big challenge recently as I you know, stepped away from the business and, and focused on family life. But Interrupting the podcast for just a second to ask you one question. Do you have a clear path to scaling your business? I mean all the way to seven figures. I want to tell you about Path to 4%. That's my highly transformative exclusive mastermind for six-figure coaches wanting to make their first million. I know you're totally overwhelmed with all the things it takes to run a business and manage your clients. Your systems have worked up until now, but they're not going to get you to multi-six or seven figures. You know you've got the coaching part on lock. Look at your clients' results. But when it comes to the business stuff, funnels, metrics, and systems, you're totally lost and stressed out. That all changes in path to 4%. I help you create and implement a growth strategy that is customized to your business. And as for the name, well, only 4% of online coaches reach the million-dollar mark. And this mastermind astronomically increases your odds. And you'll work directly with me every step of the way. It's time to put yourself in the room with CEOs and leaders who have done what you want to do because that's the ticket to your quantum leap. Book a free strategy call with me and let's see if this is the right fit for your business. The link is in the show notes. Now back to the podcast. You obviously work with companies that are, you know, making eight, nine figures. What would you say are a few of the commonalities with those business owners that have made them so successful? Things that these coaches can implement today. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the skill sets um, that you need and the talents that you need at each stage of the game change. So um, seven figures and below, you need one thing, a singular thing, a singular offer, a singular channel, a singular focus, because most of us aren't very good multitaskers. I don't care what you say. My wife is better at multitasking than me, but it doesn't mean she's good at it at all. Most of us cannot multitask. It isn't in our DNA, right? And so if we create ultimate focus, then we can actually do something with that focus and get to that first level. And, um, and so I think that in, in the seven-figure world, it's grit and focus. It's can I overcome my own demons? Can I overcome my own personal struggles? Can I overcome all of the things that are stacked against me? Because at seven figures, things change radically. All of your problems are no longer your problems, they're other people's problems. And now that changes what you look like as a leader. It changes everything. But everything from seven figures below, it's all about you. You are the source of every single problem. And from seven to eight figures, you're still the source of the problem, but now you have a whole bunch of other people to help you overcome those problems and overcome those challenges. And so things get more complex. Um, and, and then at nine figures, um, you, know, you ultimately have to have an obsession. Um, you know, eight, the bridge between eight and nine figures is something that very few people will experience in their entire life. And that's because most of the people I see transcend that level. They don't have time for wives or, or spouses, I should say. They don't have time for, for children. They don't have time for any distractions. 
And if they have children or have spouses, those relationships ultimately become the thing that gets struck down because they're so focused on the mission that they have, which is to build this business to nine figures. And those nine figure businesses change our life. Those are TikTok, right? That guy doesn't have work-life balance. That's not a thing. There's no life, there's just work. And then he builds a team. And then those people don't have work-life balance because their mission now is consumed by this beast. And so it isn't for everybody. There's always a step where you say, I'm here, I've made it, I don't need the next thing. And when you realize that internally, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing because that's when freedom starts. I want to talk about outsourcing. <laughs> I know, I gave you a pause to laugh, okay. Um, I was joking with Will yesterday because I was like, oh yeah, he, he considers you know small companies like three mil or less, and I'm like, lol. <laughs> Just so, so we're gonna we're gonna. I didn't mean offense by it. Down a little all bit, right, right. but I do want to chat about okay. Let's consider a newer company under quarter million. Right. Yep. Who do they hire and when? Nobody. Um. The reason is that below a quarter million, you are basically saying to yourself that you can't do something. You're saying, I need someone else to do this thing for me, and you're masquerading it as I'm delegating, or as I'm now becoming a CEO, or I'm becoming a leader, and you're not. You're faking it, and that's okay. I wanna be super, super clear. I'm not dogging you for making that decision. But if you're below a quarter million dollars, you haven't become efficient enough in your own world to justify bringing someone else into the chaos that is your life. And then what happens is we hire that VA or we hire that assistant coach, and then we're like, why does this person not perform the way that I expected? Why does this VA not read my mind and complete this task for me without me asking? Why do these things not happen? And the reason is because you don't have your own shit figured out. And that's okay, that is totally a normal curve in the process. It isn't anything you're doing wrong, it's just part of the journey. And so if you're in that part of the journey and too soon you bring someone in below a quarter million, you're eroding your profit margin and you're eroding your confidence, which is way more valuable than your profit margin. What about a setter? When should you hire a setter? So there's two reasons people hire a setter. Um, so, <laughs> If I just if I get too rude, y'all just let me know, okay? Just give me that feedback, you know what I mean? Um, so yes, that's right. Uh, this this is when you admit I'm a bully. Um, no, so I, I think there's there's two reasons. I'll give you the very blunt answer, the very very easy answer for when to hire a setter. When you have 400 leads a month, you hire a setter. 400 leads a month, okay? Because anything less than that, and you can't keep the setter busy. If you have 20 leads, why do you have a setter? What are they doing with all that extra time? Oh, you know what they're doing? They're having a side hustle, or they're working as a setter for 16 different companies. And guess who has a terrible experience on the other end of that setter's conversation? Because they're trying to represent you, and they're trying to represent you, and they're trying to represent you, all because they're trying to make their own life work. They're trying to figure it out for themselves, and you've brought them into your environment too soon, and now you've set them up for failure. So now you're wondering, why is my setter not performing? Why aren't they generating as many leads as I can? Well, that's because you brought them in too soon. You don't have the 400 leads that you need in order to justify the setter themselves. Now, I think setters are an incredible force multiplier for companies that need them. If you have 400 leads, go for it. But the very first thing that I would tell you is that everyone's progression looks different on paper. If I were to map all of my clients and I show you the revenue curve and I show you their performance curve of the entrepreneur behind that revenue, 
you will see completely different stories every single time. There is no one size fits all. And so in your particular situation, hiring a setter, you're now saying the most important function of my business, I'm willing to give up control of. I'm willing to let somebody else have it. And by doing so, you're saying, I don't want to develop the skill of setting. I don't want to go through the hard shit of setting, and so I'm going to give it up. And your tolerance for pain and discomfort will determine your future. I can tell you where your revenue is going to be based on your tolerance to the pain and discomfort of what you're doing. So the sooner you delegate that pain, that tells me maybe you're not cut out for this. Maybe you're just weak. And that's OK. We all start out at a certain level of strength and weakness. There's nothing wrong with that. But you get to decide next, what am I going to do with that? Am I going to waller in it, or am I going to do something about it? This is what I deal with on a daily basis. I swear I am the way I am. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I cry when he buys, I buys ducks, so it's fine. Um, we're going we're gonna to change the topic. So talking about personal life, I was going to say work-life balance. That's not really what I mean. Obviously, you just had a baby. You've had to make some changes and prepare for that. There's lots of people in this room that will have cross-country moves, start families, get married, whatever. How do you manage all of that and still perform and prepare your business for those changes? Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is there's nothing more valuable than family. Um, some of us started out with really shitty family situations. And we get a choice as to how we change that moving forward. And so we call our friends, our family. We call, we create our own families with partners and children and all these things. But ultimately, your journey with family is going to be different than mine. And so the very first thing that I would say is family is the most important thing. All of this stuff about business and making money, that is cool, but it's secondary. It's secondary to a family because your sense of belonging and your sense of, of freedom and your sense of happiness is, is not going to be because you hit a number in your Stripe account. That's never, ever going to be it. It's going to be because of the people you surround yourself with. And so to me, family means something different because the people I hire to work in our business are family in a way. Not in a weird cultish way, but they're, they're family because we spend a ton of time together. And so I really, really deeply care about those people, every single one of them. And I really want to make sure that their career happens the way that it's supposed to. And so that brings me to why or how I prepped the business for me to disappear and have a child. And so the first thing that I did was I looked at the tasks that we were doing. Over time, we get these micro-fractures, like we're, we're running this marathon, right? And, and we get these micro-fractures in our bones, and we don't address them. We keep going. We keep going. We keep going, because we're all survivors. That's what entrepreneurship looks like. But if we don't address those micro-fractures over time, they become major fractures. And so the first, very first thing is I just did a gut check, and I said, what micro-fractures do we have across the business? What processes are not working? What things do we need to address? What clients do I need to give extra love to before I leave? What do, what do I need to do to manage that so that A, the team feels okay, B, the clients feel okay, and C, I feel okay? Because that feeling ultimately shapes our perception of the reality. So even if none of my clients leave in that time that I'm away, I will fear it or not, depending on my setup, depending on the preparation. And so almost every single time, when we actually do the damn thing, like the baby was gonna come either way. Like I already did my part, and so it was gonna come here no matter what, okay? And so I had a time limit, right? And, and I didn't even get to control that time limit. As a type A person, you're trying to plan, and you're like, hey, client, can I move this meeting? Hey, can I do that? Um, you don't know. 
when the baby comes, the baby comes. Like it's on their time frame. And everything from here forward will be on their time frame. And so now I have a, a beautiful thing to give up control. And the way we give up control is we start to trust, right? We start to trust that our clients aren't gonna gaslight us or be rude to us or be you know, completely off the, uh, unhinged while we're gone. We trust that our team can handle it. And if you don't have a team yet, we trust that even if you have a dip in revenue, that doesn't define you. You can come back and you can do it differently. Now I'm just a dad every time I make a dollar. Before I was not a dad when I made a dollar. It didn't change. I'm still making the dollar. I just have to do it slightly differently. What about the situation where I, I see this for newer businesses, like, you know, the almost like the roster may not be totally full yet, right? And someone's kind of like, oh, you're, you're always working. You're never spending time with me, right? How do you handle that dynamic? Yeah. In a relationship? Mm -hmm. So, hmm. Um, you have to separate it. You have to separate it in two ways. So relationships are super tricky. And with that little bit of information, it's super hard for me to accurately tell you what to do. So I'm going to answer it on two sides. If you, in your relationship, have someone who is constantly saying, you're not spending time with me, you're not you know, seeing me, you're not loving me, you have to ask yourself the question, are they in a place of fact? Or are they in a place of insecurity and fear? Because if they're in the insecurity and fear side, then you have to understand it from that perspective. You have to coach them like you would coach a client who is fearful of something. But if they have legitimacy to their claims, there are times when my wife is like, yo, hello, let's, let's do something other than you work. And I have to be like, yeah, you know what, you're right. I have to have enough self-awareness to say, how long has it been since I've been intentional in my relationship, right? And for me personally, we all have different tolerance levels. For me personally, um, if I'm not doing something with my wife every other day that's very, very, very intentional, I'm not doing my job. And so in a relationship, it's a job. Right? It's a job, just like entrepreneurship is a job. And I'm not talking about that weird, like, oh, let's not define it as a job. I'm saying, like, it's a job. It's a thing that you have to do. You have to show up for it. It's a commitment that you made. And so you get to decide if you honor it. So if the first thing I would do in a relationship where somebody says that you're not showing up is I would show up harder. Because what if they're right? And then secondary, if you show up harder and they're still complaining and they don't see it and they have no self-awareness and they're still telling you more, 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 then are they really supporting your goals? Are they really supporting what you're trying to accomplish? Because everybody in here is doing shit that's hard. So if they're not gonna show up for you and support you in the relationship, they don't need to be in your life. And I hate to say that, I'm not gonna make a judgment about your relationship without knowing you, but like, if they can't support you, they can't be here. Because one thing is gonna win. You're either gonna kill the business or kill the relationship and it's your choice. And you're at a business conference, so you're obviously prioritizing that, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, switching topics. So standards are always changing in the industry, right? We talked about the functional space. They are velvet, yes. These are the new ones. You asked right, me okay, yesterday. Yeah. These are the ones I got for the conference. Yeah, yeah. 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 So. <laughs> Did you sleep last night? You know what's funny? I think it was like a delayed reaction, you know? Oh, this yeah. Like You're loopy hangover. today. Yeah, this a little is like loopy. Hangover. I'm yeah. just like really Woo. just fluid right Nice. Now. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. All right. I love that for you. That makes sense. Yeah, the, yeah. the pet. Okay, yeah. good. Anyway, okay. Standards are always changing. As we know, Lauren and the panel mentioned earlier, just like titles, right? What can we get ahead of in the industry as somebody who's 
working with companies that are very far ahead? And what can we just dismiss? Yeah. So there's one thing for sure. Quality of service will always win. But if you ignore the fact that people are coming for your lunch, if you're sitting here today and you're building a macro plan and you're handing that macro plan up and that's the only utility you have to offer is you're just giving baseline support, maybe some chats and maybe some little bit of macros. I'm here to tell you, somebody's coming for your lunch. If you're charging $2,000 for that, then the reckoning is coming because I'm gonna be honest, the pandemic created a really beautiful thing where people had more awareness about their health than any other point in history. I mean, maybe the Spanish flu, I wasn't really around, but, um, but I would guess, right? I would guess that we have a heightened sense of awareness from the pandemic. And we as health and fitness professionals have, have flourished in that environment. We've created incredible windfalls and we've created incredible growth. But there is always a market correction that happens after innovation. And so the very first thing that I would say is, no matter who or what service you provide, always be looking to add utility. What will add more value to your client than you did the month before, the year before, the quarter before? As soon as we decide that we're gonna autopilot our business, some, somebody used the term evergreen and not to insult you, but nothing about business is autopilot or evergreen. There's no such thing. You honestly have to keep innovating, right? Jason might have a client for four years, but the client from four years ago is not the same client that he has four years later. He has to adapt, he has to grow, he has to change. And so by being at a conference like this, you're already trying to counter that. You're already trying to learn new skills to make you more relevant over time. So that's the watch out, is now I, I, who is not nearly as talented as you guys, can go into ChatGPT and make a meal plan just as good as any coach. And I can just use that. And then I don't even have to talk to you, because I'm an introvert. So like I don't even have to worry about that, you know what I mean? And so all of that stuff, the apps are getting better, the technology is getting better, and so your utility and your ability to form relationships is gonna need to continuously get better and improve. And if you're like me, you're an introvert, and you don't love that relationship side, like I cringe with all of that, um, you have an obligation to figure that out or to go into a product business, right? That's one of the reasons why we have a consulting company, but we also have other stuff is because I don't necessarily wanna talk to people all day, every day. I, I love helping, but like eventually my energy runs out and I gotta recharge, right? I'm gonna give you two different revenue levels, but giving advice to coaches at two different spots, right? Hardcore okay. advice, whatever you got. <laughs> I don't know what that's gonna be today, with loopy will. So somebody who's right around that first six figure mark, 10K, 20K-ish months, right? Mm -hmm. What advice would you give them? Um, the first piece of that is keep going. Keep going. You, if you're, you know, let's say your client's $500 a month, um, you've got 20 clients at 10K a month, right? 20 clients, that's proof that you've got something that works. Now, you might have done 20 clients in a warm audience. If so, I highly recommend that you learn the skill of developing relationships from cold start. Because if you don't have that skill, you'll never ever scale past a certain point. You'll always be relying on warm relationships. And warm relationships take significantly longer to develop, right? I mean, we have people in our pipeline that are 18 months old, and we've been pursuing them weekly for 18 months. And we will close some of those people, and we will not close some of those people but that's a long game. Most of you might not have 18 months of cash in the account to be able to, to, to make it for that next sale if it's 18 months away. So don't wait for your warm audience to run out. Start developing the, the cold audience techniques and skill sets would be at that level. Okay, let's say somebody who's 
um, I would say closer to that half million mark, right? We're really wanting to scale to seven. What hardcore advice do you have for them? Um, so if you're if you're in that mid six figure range, uh, you already have systems that work. Um, most people don't develop that with a warm audience alone. Most of those people have already developed some of those uh, cold audience skills. So the next piece that I would tell you is look at the stability of that revenue, look at the retention of those clients. Because if you can increase your retention by 10%, your journey to seven figures will be significantly better. So absolutely get obsessed with care of those clients and make sure there's a reason I'm not talking about entrapment. Make sure there's a damn reason for them to be here in a year so that that way you can have a seven-figure business. If you just keep doing the stuff on the front end and hyper-focus on retention, then the retention, in, in a, uh, the retention improvement will force you to get to seven figures. All right, I'm opening up to you guys two questions. Who wants to ask Will something? Anything. I mean, I'm not that scary, guys. Marley, go ahead. <laughs> did you plant that? I didn't plant that. That's pretty good. Um, so I think for Taylor, um, the, the thing that we're working on the most is her transition from hyper-performing solopreneur to CEO. And the reason that I say that is because she has to learn how to manage people and manage the relationship dichotomy that happens there. And she has to be able to grow a team and make them inspired and motivated for her vision. And she has to build a real culture. And so she can hyper fixate on performance and generate a seven figure business. She can do it in the fitness space or the business coaching space. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's a business coach and everything to do with who she is and her habits and her work ethic. She doesn't give a shit about the hard stuff. Every single hard thing I throw, she doesn't care. She'll do it. And that will help her, but slowing down and realizing that just because she can do the hard shit, she needs Q to do the hard shit. She needs the next person on the team to do the hard shit, the salesperson to do the hard shit, right? She needs all of them to do that stuff for her. And then she needs to relinquish enough control to trust that they can do it. Anyone else? No? You guys have no questions? Tamasha, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and so I, I mentioned it. One of the things is grit. Um, you know, as, as a client, um, because that's my perspective with, with Taylor, is that um, she is unwavering in her faith in the plan. And so there's a balance that you strike with any client, which is, are you coachable, right? And Taylor doesn't always listen, but she's coachable. <laughs> and because she's coachable, I can work with that. And then number two, she really, really cares. Like the amount of time she spends on each one of you to make sure you have what you need like even if you don't feel it, I promise you it's happening because I'm watching it happen. 
even if you don't even appreciate or see the level of effort she's putting into the stuff that you get, it's a lot. She is just absolutely obsessed with how that stuff works. And she's constantly asking questions. Late at night, in the meetings, all the time. But, but seriously, like in, in summary, I mean, there's a grit factor to Taylor that, um, that, that makes her different. And, um, and, and she doesn't ever come to me and say, I can't because. She says, how do I because? And that's a huge difference. Anyone else have a question about me? <laughs> By the way, she didn't cry for that, but she cried about the juice. I'm just throwing that out. I was tearing up a little bit. You know. <laughs> I was like, don't do it again, Taylor. Don't do it again. They can't see you cry twice. It's the lack of sleep, too. There you go. Anyone else? Anything for Will? Go ahead. What are your biggest strengths as an individual? As an individual? Yeah. <laughs> that you feel, well, like, I feel like that's what you can do business. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, so, um, you know, for, for me, um, I'm obsessively analytical. Uh, I, I, I get really, really detailed in the process of how things work. Um, I love, above all else, solving problems. So, um, you know, that skill set of solving problems is something that I truly think I'm one of the best at. Um, and so the approach of that and the way that I communicate that is a strength. Um, leadership to my team is a strength. Uh, however, I am super on the weakness side. I'm super, super ADD. Um, that's why I pet her shoes. Um, and I just can't help it. I mean, like, would you, you would, if you had the opportunity, you might, right? Um, but like at the end of the day, I get mega distracted. And so the constant threat to me, my team will, will I'll jump into a meeting and I'm like, all right, pivot. And they're like, fuck, like, uh, and then, and then I have to kind of get brought back down to earth because I get really excited about an emerging opportunity and I want to chase after it. Right. And sometimes, um, my brain is working faster than my body and, um, and it's a mega problem, right? It's one of my biggest flaws is I always am looking at what's next and a lot of times fail to appreciate what's actually right in front of me and it's beautiful. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, earlier we were talking about like team members and you don't recommend putting all anyone before that 250 mark. Yeah. And so my question is like, so I guess like for me, I have two kids, they're young. Yeah. And I don't Congratulations. Have, thank you. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something like really, maybe controversial or, or, or confusing. But would you have any difference in your focus if you lost your leg, one leg? In my focus on my business. Yeah. Maybe for a little bit while going through that shock. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So so. That's an, 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 that's an
right. You got to pay for like, you know, the prosthetic and all that stuff, right? So I, 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 the reason that I say that, right, and you were, you were kind of sitting there and you were thinking like, wait a second, oh my gosh, what would I do if I lost my leg, right? And so in contrast to something that most of us would feel is something really, really hard to manage, losing a leg, your parallel or your, or your opposite, your contrast to that is having a child, and in this case, multiple children. And so on one end, we have something that's incredibly devastating, and then on the other thing, we have something that's incredibly exciting. Now, having two kids, how does that change your focus in the business? It probably did when you had the child, but now that the, chi the children are here, how's your focus different? It's not, it's not as focused thing as a child. Yeah. You know, they, they go to yeah. daycare or whatever, so I have them this time for this time. Absolutely. And then that's when I have to shut it off. Yeah. And then I will say, I don't work at night as much as I probably should just because I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want time to unplug, so you like, you know, throw on the TV and do a little bit of that. And then maybe you read. A Can book I also say Lindsay built a six figure business while having two kids, while working a full time job and doing her business. And don't cry. I love you. I know. Heck I'm yeah. like, no, don't do it. Heck yeah. But you've only been away from the job for three weeks now. Yeah. So okay. she has right. a little more time now. Okay. Just so you know, Thank for you context. For context. Yes. I love having added context so I don't turn into an asshole. So, uh, no, no, yeah, no, no, seriously, like, like, so first off, um, I, as you, as you started your question in my brain, I was like, the only exception to hiring somebody is if you have a full-time job and you're doing this as a side hustle until you can make it because I hired people before, right? Before I quit my job, I hired people because I needed to, there was no other way. And I knew that the income I was trying to replace was only going to happen if I hired some people into the business to help me bridge, right? And, um, and so I did that. I broke that on my own rule there. And so the thing that I would tell you is if you have 24 hours in a day, everybody says everybody has the same 24 hours. That's not true. Someone who's single has a completely different amount of time than somebody who has two kids, five kids, 10 kids. And so what you have to figure out is how do you become miraculously efficient? I would get obsessed. I would detour whatever you're doing right this moment. And I would obsess over how to be massively efficient in the things that you're doing. Because most of the time, if we really distill it down, there's a bunch of stuff we do that isn't of value. And if we eliminate, right? There's an Eisenhower framework um, for productivity and, uh, and it's a four part framework. And so you can eliminate or you can delegate. And in your case, you're delegating, but I want you to really focus on that elimination piece and make sure that you have the maximum level of efficiency there before you decide that you can't because. Does that make sense? Cool. Yeah. And by the way, the, the tactical way to do that is to map out all the things that you do or all the things that you haven't done and then go through those lists one by one by one by one and, and don't have pride about it. A lot of times when we like to do something, we say that's valuable. Yep, totally valuable. And then we skip like bookkeeping. And it's like, guys, come on. I know bookkeeping isn't sexy, but like that's valuable to keep you out of prison. So like, you know what I mean? There's, there's like things that are valuable and then there are things that we just like to do and that we make valuable in our own mind. So eliminate the bias and just honestly reflect on that list and eliminate as much of it as you possibly can so that you can get hyper-focused on the things that move the business. Yeah. Jason. I specifically focus on, yeah.
Sure, sure. Um, so almost always we audit because uh, similar to, the, to your situation, like I didn't have enough context and so I was gonna answer the question generically and that failed to help you um, because it became too broad. And so the very first thing that we do to be effective is we really analyze everything that's going on in the business. And we really evaluate across uh, our VP3 framework, which is vision, people, process, promotion. So I look at who the people are. I look at their strengths, weaknesses. We do a whole you know, um, analysis of their personality types and all of that stuff. Um, and then processes. Do you have any of them written down? That's the first step, right? If you have none of them written down, we're gonna have a problem. Because now I've gotta interview you until all of them are written down. And then they're gonna change. And then finally, promotion. How do you get leads? How do you get sales? And what does that revenue position look like? And then vision is probably the most important part. I try to figure that out before I ever work with anybody. Because if your vision sucks, then I don't want to work with you. You've got more work to do before it's going to be worth it for you to work with me. Um, and and the, the worst thing I can do is take on a client and it be a bad ROI because they're not ready. So in my corporate job, I had a team of 20. Um, and, and then when I started the business, um, I had clients who effectively wanted to be able to call me whenever they could, and they wanted to, to, to have like full bore scaling support in their business. Um, so before I answer the question, in your business and in your full-time role, um, where are you struggling in your business, the new business, the most right now? Yeah. It does. It does. Yeah. So, um, do you have good support, a good support system, or do you feel kind of on an island? Kind of on an island. Yeah. But like sometimes. Where do you live? I live in Jersey. Okay. What part of Jersey? Okay. Yeah. 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 I live. At, anyways. Um, okay. So. Uh, so see, this is like butterfly. Um, but, uh, but, but you know, one of the first things I would say is, um, you know, a support system will give you the energy to be able to do superhuman things because that bridge, um, I'm going to talk about that bridge because uh, it, it's a series of my life when burnout happened. Um, I, was, I was working 90 plus hours a week managing both. And, and that's where you're at. And how long can you realistically sustain it? without, without a, a total meltdown. So here's what I did. I hired an assistant for me to take all the medial tasks off my plate. Everything in my life was handled by somebody else. Like all my personal stuff, delegated, completely delegated so that my brain who has the most context and the most awareness of what's going on could focus on the businesses, right? Because this business can't fail because there's 20 people who are relying on me for their career. And all of those clients and all of that work, I have to perform here. Otherwise it's unethical, right? Because see, eventually this business grows and now you get to an ethics problem, right? Because now you're dishonest over here because of how much effort you're putting in over here. And so the thing that helped me, because I don't sleep at night if I'm being dishonest, I just don't. So I, I time tracked. I made sure that I was giving a fair allocation over here and a fair allocation over here, right? Um, that was that, so I hired an assistant. So all my travel bookings, all my food, everything was delegated out and managed. Okay, and then the next thing I hired was basically an equivalent of an AC. 
I hired an account manager. And those two roles were ultimately what allowed me to, uh, to jump. Now, the other thing was I extended all of the contract lengths of my clients to give me security when I was about to make the jump. And then for me, um, I basically took um, my pay uh, down one-sixth of what I was making. So um, I financially, personally prepared my bank accounts and all of that stuff to reflect an environment where it made sense for me to quit. And that means that you might have to suck it up for a little longer than you want so that you can put some savings away. You might move back home with your parents to save on rent. Like whatever that looks like for you, it's so different for everybody. But like don't have pride in it because the goal is something really beautiful, but the journey might suck a little bit. Yeah. Like, all right, I'm working very, very hard at someone's vision. Mm -hmm. But I, like, I see where it's going. It's like AI medical crisis. Right. And I put a lot of time into that. And it's great. But at, so I don't feel like I'm dishonest because it takes up so much of my time. I can scan that type of thing. Sure. So I'm putting a lot to my business. Yeah. Um, and I have a really great support system, but I'm hitting that, like, yeah. red Yeah. Right? Uh huh. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I mean, I'm just gonna say it. Um, you know, a lot of times we get married to a location for no damn good reason. Why do you live where you live? If your support system sucks, leave. If your support system's awesome, then find a way to stay. But th maybe that means that you don't live in a sexy part of town for for two years. It's just two years. It's really not that big of a deal. Now, again, I don't want to minimize your situation, so I want to answer the question that you asked um, and not go on my own soapbox. But like, um, but I think it's important to realize that a lot of these transitions, like your willingness to sacrifice, tells somebody like me how much you want the thing. And so you're either um, worried about disappointing them, or you're worried about the financial strain of making the jump. And for you specifically, which one of those two do you feel it's more of? Yeah. I have some full-on willingness to marry someone who's just not willing to do full-on marrying someone. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fair. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, if I can outsource like running a power, that would be totally doable. <laughs> totally doable. And for not as much money as you think. Most, mo by the way, most maids, most maids will do dishes and laundry if you tell them to, and, and your sheets. So you just have to find the right, the right housekeeper, um, and and eventually you graduate the housekeeper to a house manager, and then they're the ones that are like maintaining your HVAC system, and like they're scheduling all of your, you know, your your regular maintenance. They're swapping your air filter, like they're doing all kinds of stuff, making sure the pool's clean, like. You see what I mean? There's levels to everything, and and so like even even uh, like. Uh, you know, Miami's gonna be expensive, um, but you probably don't have like a crazy, because you're in Miami, you probably don't have some crazy footprint of, of uh, like square footage. And so the smaller the square footage, then that's even less work for them. And, uh, and you can just literally outsource all of that. It was just a conversation with you and your husband to say, do we want to spend money on that instead of that fancy sushi restaurant on Friday night? Well, I have a question. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you're 
Yeah. Yeah. But you can't, right? Because that's kind of like what you're saying. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so like, let yourself, let yourself give that up, right? Because it, it's just not serving you. Um, and as far as how long I did it, uh, I did it for 16 months. And, um, and there were periods of time where I was sleeping, like, four hours a night and, um, and just grinding myself into oblivion. And uh, I think there were permanent re repercussions to that. Um, you know, uh, it's been, I don't know, three years or something, and I still feel like my level of, of grind is not like that moment where I was willing to do that. Now I'm just not willing to do that. Like, I don't, there's no point, because I'm not going to be able to serve anybody if I'm, if I'm ground into oblivion. But it was scary as shit when I made the jump, because the money part is super, super scary. It's super scary. But like at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, I'm starting a business for a reason. Do I have faith that my business will work? Do I have faith in myself that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make the business work? Right? And so fortunately, you guys are in the same situation, but with a completely different support structure, which means the way you make the decision is going to be different. But, but both of you are going to do this thing. You're going you're gonna to make it. You just have to believe. Absolutely. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I hope you enjoyed this speaker panel. If you have any questions about attending the Dallas conference next year, please shoot me a DM and I'm happy to answer any questions you have. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Taylor DeHaze podcast. Love the episode, share it and tag me on Instagram. Have a question? My DMs are always open. Until next time, bye y'all.